Hey, we're down to our final month to register. Make sure you register for Coaching You Live VIP Experience in Las Vegas, August 7th and 8th. It's going to be an incredible thing. The lineup of our faculty to teach is incredible. So many head coaches in the NBA, top assistants. Uh, remember, go to coachingyoulive.com forward slash 2021 to register. $399, courtside seating, notebooks, shirts, everything that you can imagine, food and, and drink. This is a learning experience that those of you who've come before, you don't miss. We only have 100 seats and we're down to a few. Make sure you register coachingyoulive.com forward slash 2021 to register. Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir. I am so excited today. What an honor. Stephen Silas, uh, head coach of the Houston Rockets, is going to be our guest. Uh, his dad and I worked together with the New Jersey Nets with Chuck Daly as the head coach and Rick Carlisle as the other assistant. And Stephen was a high school kid, you know, coming to practice before he went to Brown University where he played four years. Stephen has always been one of the sharpest young people I've ever been around. His mom and dad are superstars. And just, you know... He's been around the NBA his entire life and has a role model and a dad that I think you're going to see is just what an influence I've always said a parent, a teacher, or a coach can be in one's life. Uh, and so, you know, Stephen has that. I've also found, you know, being around him for years is that he's uh, one of the smartest, smartest coaches that we have in the league. He's really been on the cutting edge of analytics. I think you're really going to enjoy this. So after these quick timeouts, please uh, enjoy Stephen Silas. We're thrilled to have our longtime partners and friends at Dr. Dish Basketball on board as sponsors of the Coaching You podcast. Dr. Dish machines are undoubtedly the most user-friendly and advanced machines in the world of basketball today. Dr. Dish has completely revolutionized and reimagined the shooting machine to provide the best solution on the market. Join top programs around the world like Duke, North Carolina, Florida, and countless others and upgrade your shooting machine to Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish machines are the best way to increase purposeful reps in your program to get players better, faster, while tracking progress along the way. Dr. Dish provides so much more than just your standard shooting machines with custom training, pro trainers, and coaches on demand, real-time and detailed analytics, and top-of-the-line drills and workouts. If you're looking to take your program to the next level, look no further than Dr. Dish for the best basketball training machine in the world. If you have an old machine that's just collecting dust in your gym, did you know that you can trade that into Dr. Dish for up to $1,500 off and get a new dish? Make sure to give our friends at Dr. Dish a follow at Dr. Dish B-Ball on Twitter and Instagram for great daily drills, workouts, tips, and inspiration. Or contact us at drdishbasketball.com. Don't forget to mention Coaching You or our podcast for $300 off your purchase. Prepare like the pros with the new FastDraw. FastDraw is the number one affordable coaching tool used by pro and high school level teams worldwide. With FastDraw, you can save your plays and playbooks digitally, attach video and share with other coaches and your players in seconds, 
In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching content resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 8,000 free plays and drills from their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Don't forget to use promo code CU10, that is CU10, to receive 10% off your next Fast Model purchase. Hi, this is Brendan Sir. I'm talking to coaches, PE teachers, ADs, and camp directors because I'm so excited to announce our newest Coaching You podcast partnership with my friends from 360 Hoops. What if I told you that I've witnessed the most innovative game, training, and exercise for kids that I've seen in decades? 360 Hoops takes up less space than traditional basketball and allows for more players to get involved in developing their basketball fundamentals. The three-sided basket is attached to wheels for easy transportation and can adjust from 7 to 10 feet. The uses are endless, from elementary and middle school recess to physical education class that can also be used for team practice and skill development training for teams with players of all ages. For more information, visit www.play360hoops.com. To learn more about this new innovative product, make sure you mention Coaching You for a 10% discount. Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir. And today, boy, a guy that I've known forever, it seems, and, uh, and uh, you know, had the ultimate pleasure of working with his dad as we were assistants to the great Chuck Daly, Stephen Silas, the head coach of the Houston Rockets. God, that sounds so good to say that, Stephen. <laughs> hey, it sounds great to hear it, too. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thank I, you so much for having me. Oh, it's our, our pleasure. You know, it's so funny. You know, I, I was thinking last night as I was taking some notes for today, and I'm saying to myself, I want to say that were you a senior in high school when we first met, probably? And yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think I was a senior in high school right before I, I left and went to Brown. <laughs> Brown and all this stuff. But, yeah, it was I was just hanging around, and you you guys are doing your thing. It was fun to watch, and I'm just happy to be here after all these years that we're, we're still connected, and yeah. you know how basketball is. It connects you, and uh, we kind of went the roundabout way, but it's, it's great to be here. I appreciate I, it. I, I've been talking to several younger guys like yourself that are just getting head coaching jobs, and you know them all, and uh, they're asking my advice on how to put a staff together. And I think it's a critical thing uh, when you know you're putting when you're going through that, and it's not as easy as it was back in the day because no one was getting paid, <laughs> you know, any money. Sure. And but uh, I remember when Chuck and I left Detroit and we came to New Jersey, which was not exactly the spot on the map to go to at the time, <laughs> you know. And and, uh, and you know he. Had, Chuck had been such a believer in a good coaching staff and uh, literally we're going into the press conference and I had my deal already in place and Chuck obviously had his deal. He and Riley were going to be the two highest paid coaches in basketball, which was, Stephen, you'll feel so good about this, uh, was a, about a, a million 
two a year. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, and, and, and so they Chuck thought he hit the lottery, and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, and and so uh, as we're driving from the airport to uh, go to the press conference, he said, "I just got a call. We have it. We could get Paul Silas to be an assistant. He'll leave the Knicks to come with us." He said, "But you might have to give up some of your money." I said, "Why don't you give up some of your money?" <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and he goes okay i like that i like that so that literally that's the the planning that went into it and then when we're sitting in the office waiting for the press conference another kid is sitting there who had just finished a half year of coaching by the name of rick carlisle and and i said rick what are you gonna do he says i don't know i'm i'm out of here yeah i said do you want to stay he goes yeah i'd love to (laughs) and that's (laughs) And so my challenge to young coaches is when you put a staff together, get one as good as Chuck, Paul Silas, and Rick Carlisle. <laughs> <laughs> that is tough to follow. Isn't that amazing? Sure. What an amazing what staff. A staff. But, you know, you got to come to so many of our practices, and to see your dad interact with Derek Coleman was something that is was a treat beyond belief, right? And uh, to see, and, and, and you got to see him also with a Charles Oakley and stuff like that. What made your dad such an incredible coach? He just has a way with people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he, he, there's two things. He loves basketball. Right. And he has a great way with people where he can demand and he can say things that other people can't say. And, um, but he also has like a innate ability to just connect and yeah. for, for people to respect him because he's honest and because he's funny and because he is knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. And I think those are all things that are super important if you're going to be a coach, especially in the NBA, but his ability to connect with everybody from the Derek Coleman's and (laughs) Charles Oakley's and, and Anthony Mason's of the world to you know, front office people and, yeah. and co-workers like you and Rick and, and you know, superiors like Chuck and, and Pat Riley just just had a way about him that he could just connect with everybody and, and disarm them because he is a imposing figure Very outside much. looking in, but um, he just had that, that knack where he can really just connect and make people feel at ease while also being tough and knowledgeable and all those things that you need. You know, I, I you know he's one of the guys that I, I, I had two coaches that I worked with as co-assistants that were so influential to me. He was one, and Willis Reed, believe it or not, was the other. I had yeah. I had Willis in Atlanta, and what I found, and this was so important to me. You know, if I had ever gotten an NBA head job, is I wanted to make sure that one of my assistants was an incredibly imposing figure to balance me out, right? Right. And, 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 and I always used to tease Rick Mahorn and said, pray for me to get a job because you're my assistant. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? Uh, but, but when, you know, one of the really cool things, and, and your family is so incredible, but one of the really cool things for you in your career and, and being so young still uh, is that, you know, to, to be able to work with your dad as his assistant. Talk about that. 
Yeah, it was um, great and hard and yeah. <laughs> and challenging and amazing all at the same time. It was uh, he gave me the opportunity when I first started. I was like 27 and uh, had been doing advanced scouting with the Charlotte Hornets and. He asked me if I wanted to be an assistant coach. One of his assistant coaches left, and I was like, are you sure? <laughs> you know. And he was like, are you going to work hard? I was like, yeah, of course I'm going to work hard. And he's like, I know you're smart, and I know you're good with people, so uh, this would be great for me. And he, he framed it as me helping him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I felt like he was helping me so much every day, just watching and learning. And you know how it is. You learn so much from the people that you work with and and it's not even things that they're actually trying to teach you but it's how they teach it's how they connect it's uh how they deal with adversity and and all of those things so working with my dad early in my career was amazing because i could ask the, the dumb questions and i could um give input that i probably wouldn't feel so comfortable being so young to give um you know, an, another coach <laughs> at that sure. point. So um, just to be able to, to do that for with him and for him at that point in my career was great. And then um, later in my career, when I left Golden State to, to rejoin him with Charlotte and the Bobcats, uh, it was a little bit different because I had experience. I was I'd been in the league for ten or eleven years and yep. worked for Don Nelson and worked for other coaches and had had more uh, in my toolbox, so yep. to speak, to to give. So it was much more of a partnership um, towards the end of the, our time together. But looking back, is just such a such a gift. To, to be able to connect and to be able to hang out with my dad every day and help and go through the ups and downs of an NBA season to have the head coach that I care so much about and that I'm so loyal to. And, and that frame that helped me throughout my career, working for Rick Carlisle, working for Steve Clifford, to understand that's the, that's the type of loyalty that you need to have for, for your head coach. And like you had with Chuck, yeah. like that loyalty was super deep. And um, it's not like that all the time. I was just going to say, why can't we make it like that all the time, right? You know, where for there's, sure. there's a, you know, to me, uh, you know, when, and I hate to say this, back in the day before money got involved like it is now, is that when we worked together, whether, you know, it was in, you know, Detroit, Atlanta when it was with Ubi Brown and Fratello and or Detroit with Chuck or New Jersey with Chuck and your dad and Carlisle or in New York with Isaiah and stuff, I always considered it, we were a family, you know? Yeah. And, and there was nothing, it was, that was our family at home and then there was our family at work and that was like the only two guiding things in my life and I treated each from a standpoint of they were both you know, they, they, they got the same loyalty, you know what I mean? You wouldn't, absolutely. you know, and, and I think that's what, and and if you don't do that nowadays, I think, you know, that's where you, I think also, Stephen, you can tell me this, the most, when I went to New York, the staff started to get big, you know, yeah. and I think that has really hurt us. And, and from, Definitely. from a standpoint, not that I, I'd love to have coaches work. I was vice president of the coaches association for 12 years, you know, so I love that. But 
everyone can't be heard. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, like when if Chuck said something and your dad said something, that 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 was it. You know, I wasn't. You know, there was not five other guys coming up with ideas <laughs> to outdo you. You know. And I, I, because when you're you're finding this out now, you were the guy for years making suggestions. Now all sure. of a sudden you're receiving suggestions. It's a whole different deal, right? Definitely, definitely. And like like you say, the the staffs are bigger, and there's money involved, and there's perception involved, and and moving up and getting the next best job, and the associate head coach title and, and all of these things that kind of take away or chip away from the loyalty aspect. And it's not terrible. You know, I have great sure. staff who's loyal and uh, that I really lean on and, and all of those things. But <laughs> it's the reality in the NBA that with these big staffs and the money that we're all getting, that there will be some you know, looking for your next job while you have your job and, and that sort of thing. And it's, it's uh, unfortunate because I remember you guys, you guys are happy to be there, you know, as you, my dad, Rick, and you just wanted to help and win and, and, and have it be good. And uh, there wasn't all of that other stuff. Yeah. What, you know, one of the things that you've really been blessed with, and I say, you know, we're all blessed by the talent that we coach right i mean you know i mean i became a great coach because i had dominique wilkins you know i mean yeah. you, know, you know wow <laughs> you know i mean and you know and you know and then you know i had isaiah rodman and dumars and those guys i mean so you know you know that that really helps you and as you're going on and you have penny hardaway you have marbury and you have all these unique gifted guys along the way you've been really Really, and I always say it's I'm blessed to have been around those guys. You you've been around some incredible players, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like you say, it's a blessing. <laughs> I've definitely been blessed to be around. I mean, when I first started, my first rookie was Baron Davis, who became an all star, and I has had the the blessing to coach LeBron James as a rookie and, and his second year. And then Steph Curry as a rookie and his second year and, and uh, Luka Doncic and as a rookie and a second year player and Kemba Walker, like so some young rookies who <laughs> didn't really know much, but were super talented, great workers. And you know how it is. Those guys, who are supremely talented and are going to be hall of famers or superstars. They have that it factor as far as their basketball IQ. They're just, <laughs> they pick things up quicker. They, they only hear it one time and they've got it. They see things that you don't see. But the thing about those guys as well is they stretch you and they, they make you better as a coach and they challenge you and, uh, it just really helps as you're growing and, and going through this coaching thing that uh, if you have guys like that and you can see the best of the best and how they work and how they process it, it just makes you better as a coach. Stephen, one of the things that I've, I've, I say all the time to coaches is that the hardest thing in, in basketball coaching to do is to coach the great, great player. The easiest thing to do is to coach the average or poor player because they'll do anything you tell them. They're just not very good, and they're not going to help sure. you win. But the guys like LeBron and Steph and Luka and the guys you mentioned, 
they are so demanding to be, to, to, it's like you know you you're you're different academic level than me you you went to you went to brown so you took advanced placement classes in high school <laughs> but you know when you're teaching gifted kids you better know what the hell you're talking about or else they'll just Absolutely. they'll put you to the side they don't need you right for sure for sure and it makes you be on top of your stuff and it makes you watch that extra hour of film so mm -hmm. when you're going through your walkthrough and they stop it you have the answer <laughs> because most of the time they know the answer before you even say it so they're just testing you so yeah, yeah they, they stretch you i'll tell you a funny thing happened to me when i came back to college coaching i'm coaching at lsu with ben simmons and we're in we're going to go to australia in august uh, you know and i I'm just starting there, and we're teaching 10 days of practice before we go over there, and I'm teaching uh, middle pick-and-roll coverage. And I'm showing him two different ways to do it, one where you can hard hedge and the other one where you can drop somewhat. Mm -hmm. And so I teach it one day. The second day I'm doing it, and by accident, I say something wrong. And Ben, and because ben, he's brilliant, says, Coach, didn't you say this yesterday? And I said, absolutely. Uh, you're right. You're right. I said, thank you for pointing that out to me. And then later on, the coach said to me, the head coach said, don't ever do that again. I, I, don't, I said, no, that's the only way to do it because he knows what was right. And I was wrong. I said, that's right. And, 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 and that's what Isaiah and guys like that taught me. Uh, the other thing that they taught me, and tell me if you use this, and Chuck was the first one I ever saw do it because, you know, working with UB Brown, Fratello, they were, you know, they were really brilliant and uh, and defensively they were outstanding. And when we went to uh, do our scouts or shoot rounds, uh, when, you, you know, you go over back in the day, pick and roll coverage, you know, teams are running so many set plays and, uh, you know, and they would say, okay, we're going to hard hedge, et cetera, you know, and do this. And uh, Chuck, when the first shoot-around I ever did with him, all of a sudden he turns to Isaiah and Lambert and says, how do you want to guard this? And I said, what the hell are you asking them for? You know. <laughs> and, and you know what? They came out and said something that was completely what we didn't want to do. And Chuck mm -hmm. says, let's try it. And I wow. said, why did you do that? And he says, they won't, if they don't believe in it, they're not going to buy into it. That's right. He said, That's right. He said, don't worry, we can change it in the first quarter. Relax. <laughs> and I said, okay. And, and, and he was 100% right. And that, that was a clinic to me in teaching me that, you know, that you had how to get buy-in with players, you know, and they have to own it, right? And, and, I, and I just say, man, you know, Chuck didn't go to any clinic or school. This was on-the-job experience like your dad had doing this. And I think that's, that's – and they were nice enough to let us learn from them, you know. <laughs> For sure. Tell me about Steph Curry as a player when you had him as a young guy. <laughs> yeah, he was uh... – super smart like i said uh it was it was hard for him though because i don't know if you remember when he first came to the team we had steven jackson we had monte ellis we had a um pretty much veteran group of guys so he wasn't necessarily a welcome with open <laughs> open arms um just because of and it had nothing to do with him it had nothing to do with the guys who were on the team it was just kind of the perception of 
uh, we have this kid coming in and he's going to be, you know, the one to kind of help us get over the hump. And the guys who were there were like, hey, we're good enough <laughs> already. So uh, it was a tough deal when uh, when they first came, and, when he first got there. And, and but, St- Stephen, physically, wasn't he not very imposing, right? At the yeah, time. yeah, he was slight. Really slight, and, right? Yeah, he was slight. He was uh, probably a step slow mm-hmm. as far as people, kind of the the people who talk about draft picks. They they were saying maybe he's not a point guard. Maybe That's he's what, a little slow. Maybe he's a little light. Maybe he's a little short. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he just has a, a work ethic that is probably the best that I've ever coached. He wow. just would work all the time. We would be on the court before practice, after practice. And we had a connection because uh, his dad played for my dad in Charlotte and he went to the same uh, high school as my nephew. So I, I knew him and the family and everything. So we, we did have a connection that way. But uh, the difference with Steph is his confidence level is so high, <laughs> even though he's he has the, the rare combination of humility and high confidence. <laughs> and uh, and it works for him, and he would just work at his game all the time. But the other thing that he did was work on his body, and that's yeah. when he really took off. Once he was able to take the hits and be strong when it came to driving the ball to the hoop or – you see how his range, I mean, he's always been a great shooter, but his range has increased because of the, the weights and the work that he's done on his body and his handle. I mean, everything has just taken a step up because of the work that he's done on his body. So uh, the person that he is combined with the mind that he has combined with the work that he puts in makes him one of the best ever, <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I my evaluation of him in college, and, you know, we had all coached against Dell, and so we liked Dell, but Dell was a kind of, you know, he was a, very much a one-dimensional type of player, you know, and a great one at that. But, you know, but uh, I, I evaluated him just like you said. I didn't know, he, I didn't think he could be a point. <laughs> mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. didn't think his handle was that good. And I just knew his coach, you know, Bobby McKillop is just one of the very best in the world. And, yeah. I, and I thought Bobby was helping him so much be looking to be a great college player, you know. And, yeah. and, and uh, you know, it's just amazing. When you had LeBron as a young guy, what, what jumped out at you? I mean, the athleticism, first and foremost, for him to be 19 years old and it's just bigger, stronger, faster than everybody else on the team already. That was the thing that stood out first and foremost when I had him. I had him on, for my summer league team that year. I had him, Dewan Wagner, Carlos Boozer, Darius Miles, and Sagana Jop. So <laughs> we, it was a it was a good young summer league team. But he, the first walkthrough, he just was on the coverages, and he's just so smart and could pick things up so quickly. And wow. uh, just his the thing that was one of the standout parts of his game besides besides his athleticism was his passing ability and his ability to read defenses and and that sort of thing so you pair those things together 
and you have a good young player. I didn't know he was going to be the one of the best ever. Right. But, uh, yeah, he was just a, a, a supremely smart uh, basketball savant type. Yep. Um, as a as a nineteen year old, and uh, that's been one of the things that has carried him throughout his career, along with everything else. I, I and and I'm only saying this. Uh, you, know, you had the pleasure of uh, uh, pleasure, you know, of coaching Doncic. Uh, we, you know, we've never seen an 18 year old kid come over and you know, you know, play that well, right? Physically, I mean, just you know, he's a he's he's a man. I mean, you know, he's been a pro. <laughs> someone said since he was 13. Actually, you know, uh, what. He's a another supreme talent that you worked with. Yeah, he's super, another supremely confident kid, very confident. Right. And um, but he also is a little bit quicker than you thought. He's a little bit bigger than you thought. He, yeah. Uh, again, sees the game, his passing ability. He he sees every coverage he sees. He, he knows what he's looking for and knows the play before it's before it's happening. And um, he's one guy who who stretches you as a coach because he doesn't, there were times, especially when he was young, not so much now, but when he was younger, there were times where he'd be like, why do we have to go through this again? You know, when you're going through plays, I was offensive coordinator. So we'd be going through uh, script offense. And why do we have to do this again? (laughs) Because you're not like everybody else. You know, everybody needs to know it, not just you. (laughs) So we can't just do it once. And that's good enough. That's a but, great. That's uh, a great line right there, Stephen. You know? <laughs> really, you know, yeah. But great kid, and just continues to get better. And and as you see, he carried the, that group through the playoffs, and and uh, it's going to be amazing to see what he does because he'll be one of the best MVP, all that stuff. Yeah. He's got it. When you get the job at, at Houston over the summer, actually coming out of the bubble. I mean, I, I keep calling everything the summer if it happened like <laughs> last year, but, you know, it's really the fall, really, right, when you're get, almost getting the job, correct? You know? Yeah, it was November. I got the was, job November 1st, wow. so it's only been like eight or nine months since I got the job. <laughs> like dog years, though, right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. So when you go in there, you're going to bring your playbook, and you're going to say, okay, I'm going to plug Harden into these, 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 and these. Right? <laughs> and now all of a sudden, one of those things that you have nothing to do with, you know, he demands to leave. Okay. I thought you handled that with incredible poise, you know, and uh, you stayed in neutral, so to speak. You know, you, you know, you just matter of factly addressed it every day, and I thought you really, really did a great job in a very hard situation. Um, so, what, tell me what it was like that year, yet last season, trying to coach a team that you really mentally were preparing to have him, but then you don't have him. Yeah, it was tough because, like I said, I got hired on November 1st. And at that time, we had Russell Westbrook and we had James. And and both guys were gone a month later. And uh, all of the things that I kind of – and it was a quick turnaround. So November 1st and then our first game was right close to Christmas. So there there really wasn't much time. But um, 
you know how it is when you're a coach. You just have to adapt. And and there's things that you can control, and there's things that you can't control. And with our situation, it was different. But I would say that, I mean, I grew up in it. I grew up watching you, and I grew up watching Rick, and I grew up watching my dad and Chuck and Pat Riley and all these people. And I would say there's not one head coach that says, oh, that was an easy season <laughs> after the season's over. So everybody has their challenges. It's a matter of how you adapt and, and fight through and lead and have a steady hand and don't panic and all of those things that you need to do when adversity comes because it's coming for everybody it's just in different shapes and sizes and mine was a little bit different than there's ever been before <laughs> but um but i knew it was going to be a challenging job when i took it and um the the deal with james and and, and russ was uh, a surprise but i just had to adapt to the situation that i had uh, really pour into the players that were there with John Wall and Christian Wood and Eric Gordon, who was in and out of the lineup. And then we had some young kids, Kevin Porter Jr. and Jay Sean Tate and KJ Martin, Kenyon's son. So uh, it, it was a, a big shift and I had to do it quick, but there's always going to be adversity when you're a head coach. So going in, knowing that helps. That's a great, great point. What have you seen in the league? Because I think in the last several years, the league has changed dramatically style play wise talk about that if you would from an offense you know you know you know as a guy that was responsible for offense let's say in Dallas and stuff and now you're basically designing your offense you know a style of play in Houston what have what do you what have you seen in the league and where do you see it going yeah so it's changed so much in this short period of time as far as a lot less set plays and more free flow type offense, more five out stuff where yeah. you have fives that can roll and pop and, and put pressure on the, the defense in different ways. And, and then you're seeing right now in the playoffs with the, the shooting and the use of the three point line, that space is the most important thing and drawing the second defender and, and making plays. So those guys can play to their strengths and, and most teams, the great teams have someone who can break down the defense and finish at the end of the shot clock and that sort of thing. And a lot of that has less to do with play calls and <laughs> schemes and stuff and more to do with just putting guys in the right spots on the floor and letting those guys kind of do their thing. And that's very different than it used to be because yeah, when I first sure. started, there was UCLA cuts and we had to figure out how we were going to defend cross screens and yep. uh, post defense and, and all of that stuff. I would say post defense is becoming more important now just because of the switching. So there's the switch and now you're having smaller guys having to defend bigger guys uh, in the post. So post Defensive technique is something that we're starting to work on a little bit more than we had over the last couple of years just because of the switching. And then the closeouts are huge and creating closeout situations on offense, but also on defense, really concentrating because you're always in help, <laughs> especially with, with teams playing with so much space. So you're trying to sprint and, and, and close out as far as where it's going. Man, it's really hard to say. It's, fu it's funny. Things kind of are cyclical. So 
you would think that there would be a little bit more structure moving forward mm -hmm. um, that maybe is a little bit harder to guard. And, and, you know, having guys who aren't as experienced guarding actions, maybe that's the next thing as things kind of come full circle. And that's how they tend to, to tend yeah. to do. But, um, you know, the three-point line is huge, and, and these guys are, are shooting a bunch of them, and good for good or bad <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, the analytics are a big part of it. The, the one thing I would say is in the playoffs, you're seeing that the mid-range shot has become very important for yep. Chris Paul, for Chris Middleton, for Kevin Durant, all these guys who are shooting mid-range shots. Now your ability to shoot those shots and make those shots is very important. When uh, we're watching the playoffs as we're recording this right now, and what I'm seeing sometimes, and now it's the games get bigger, it always comes down to in a very important game, how do you score in the fourth quarter, right? For sure. How do you score under pressure? And I see some teams really struggling because you know what? They don't have a half-court game. Yeah, for sure. And For sure. And, uh, and I remember when Chuck and Riley used to compete against each other. Chuck said, this is the style we play. We And we had great athletes. Just, we ran like crazy, and we scored points and stuff. But he said, we're going to play the same way all year long. We're going to play this way in the playoffs, and we'll play this way in regular season. And that way we don't adjust. Cause, you know, right. and, and I thought it was really – so here's my question. As a team – let's say a team that doesn't have their – you know, there's teams that – they're the most gifted teams. Frankly, you can play any way you want. You're going to win because you have more talent. And then there's teams that don't have that talent. Why wouldn't they adjust their style of play so that they can give their chance, team a better chance to win? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, some of it is the analytics and those threes and layups that everybody's <laughs> trying to get and, and playing. Uh, in a way that's analytically sound, um, especially if you are missing that guy who can go get you a, a bucket when you need one in the fourth quarter in the playoffs or or whatever. But but like we kind of were talking about, I do think that some actions are a little bit harder to guard yeah. and, and with with people. Um, not being so disciplined on defense as they used to be and so locked in as they used to be. I think you can't get away with a Chicago pick every once in a while or a cross screen every once in a while and and not necessarily live in the mid-range off of that, but draw help so you can kick to your three-point shooters and, and figuring out ways that you can attack the defense inside the three-point line. So now that the help comes in, you're kicking to your three-point shooters. But, um, yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying as far as <laughs> the the half-court game is, is being lost uh, a bit, and um, but you're needing it to be to win a championship. So where do you reconcile that? Yeah. And that's a great question. Yeah, that, that's just, it literally is just a question. <laughs> what about uh... – you know, as an assistant for years, one of your main roles, as all assistants are, is you have to prepare your team for the game that you're in charge of as a, the scout that night. So back in the day when you first started coaching, uh, you know, your preparation on a scout was we're going to go over their top four plays, five plays, top two side out-of-bounds plays, <laughs> number one baseline out-of-bounds play, and 
the scout would be pretty long and very, very detailed. How has yeah. that changed now? Yeah, it's changed a bunch. Yeah. I mean, teams aren't really doing shoot-arounds like they used to do. Yeah. Uh, when I worked for Steve Clifford, we would do 10 plays and <laughs> one out of bounds or two out of bounds. How about you know, that? It, it would be long and the players would be locked in. The players aren't uh, as locked in as they were. I think you do have to condition them uh, to be good learners and to um, be able to concentrate throughout the whole walkthrough. And, and, you know, I think you can give them a little bit more than some of us are giving uh, them, like, to walk through two. Some teams are walking through two plays, and that's good, or three actions, and that's good. And I think you can do a little bit more. You can push a little more. You can stretch a little bit more. Uh, But, yeah, now it's – how are they getting to their spread pick and roll? How are they getting to their angle pick and roll? Is there a pet play that they have been getting teams on um, and getting their best players in positions to really make it hard on the defense? So, yeah, we're with my group, we're trying to be right on around four to five plays, um, and then we'll use film a lot more than we, than we used to because yep. uh, there's a couple things. that they, they learn their – the digital age or whatever so Mm -hmm. they learn watching a screen (laughs) so figuring out ways to put um plays on their phone or have it have video sessions where they're not as long but short and they can pick it up and learn that way uh just finding different ways for this group of young kids and i know you probably saw this when you're at lsu they learn. They learn differently than they did when totally. we first started. Totally, you know. So, so you have to be adaptable, and you have to figure out ways to help them learn. And and I and I think that is one of the most important parts of teaching. Whether you're teaching in school or any part of life, is you, you must figure out how the learner learns best. Some by doing, some by watching, and whatever. Uh, let me ask you. You've always been really on top of analytics. I thought you know ahead of many and what are some of the key factors in analytics that you use in your decision making yeah i I think it's important to keep it simple (laughs) yeah as hard as it is at times because there are there's a number for everything and there is um you know there's the goods and bads of of analytics yeah and some players you have to just keep it simple for players so they understand the importance and they are not wrapped up necessarily in the numbers they just know the why (laughs) and and players are so much more apt to um, do what you want them to do and and kind of help the team if they know the why and sometimes the why is because the numbers say so other times the why is because the numbers say so, but I'm not going to say it that way. It's mm-hmm. because um, it's been effective this way. Look, see, this is how it's been effective in your game. Or um, taking a, a guy and saying, hey, look at your two-point shooting. You're shooting 29% on these pull-up twos, but you're shooting 34% on your catch-and-shoot threes, and you're shooting 48% at the rim. Let's see if we can figure out more ways for you to get to the rim and shoot the three instead of shooting the, the mid-range pull-up. Yeah. And, and using them that way, 
like I said, there's there's so many stats and there's so much um, put into the analytics. But uh, I guess I'm a little bit old school and that I learned under people like you and my dad and, and <laughs> you know, who they knew the analytics innately, but it was just basketball. So that's how I try to do it. I know the analytics. I, I definitely listen to our analytics group and, and all yeah. of that and the way that we play is very much analytically driven, but to me, it, it makes sense and um, it's simplified and it doesn't have to be numbers based. It can be basketball based, which I think it should be. That might have been the best explanation I've heard on analytics. Seriously, <laughs> I really. And it was like when your dad and you came to the top 100 camp and you taught NBA players in that room who want to be coaches someday about that. I thought that was brilliant. And those guys got it that day also. And sitting in that room, as you know, was a guy like Rondo, you know, yeah. and, 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 you know, and he's sitting there and he's all in on it. And I think, you know, there's a lot of young players that might want to be coaches, but you you were teaching them the why of it. And I think that's so important. Stephen, I am, I am so thrilled. This is such an honor to talk to you because I've known you so, so long, but I, I got to tell you, your dad has been a great influence on me and, uh, and he's such he shared with me a lot and taught me a lot and and I appreciate you doing this to other coaches around the world that actually are gonna to listen to this. So again, I thank you again for doing this and for sharing and uh I'm so excited and I can't wait to see next year's Rockets. For sure. Thank you so much for having me. It was it was a pleasure. It's a lot of fun. Thanks, Stephen. Boy, I'll tell you what, that that's spectacular stuff uh from one of the great young coaches in our league. Can you imagine going into the year and you get your first head coaching job in the NBA and you think you got the best backcourt in the league in Russell Westbrook and James Harden and then you um, a few weeks later you have neither. Um, and then you combine that with injuries, a shortened season, uh, everything that could go wrong went wrong, but how you have to adapt and have some pers perseverance, resilience, and then down the road now with the second piss pick in the draft he's got a lot of hope and so i think you know steven silas is someone that i think you really learn from you're going to enjoy and and for those of you that are going to come to our coaching you live vip experience out in vegas august 7th and 8th steven has agreed to speak so i think you're really going to hear from one of the very top teachers in the league so steven silas will be on our faculty for coaching you live and i think you're really going to enjoy it. so make sure you go to coaching you forward slash 2021 to sign up and register and remember now it's 399 but the full vip experience uh it's just the best experience that you can have in basketball for learning so look forward to you there until next week this is the coach brendan sir Hey, we're down to our final month to register. Make sure you register for Coaching You Live VIP Experience in Las Vegas, August 7th and 8th. It's going to be an incredible thing. The lineup of our faculty to teach is incredible. So many head coaches in the NBA, top assistants. Uh, remember, go to coachingyoulive.com forward slash 2021 to register. $399 courtside seating notebooks, shirts, everything that you can imagine, food and, and drink. This is a learning experience that those of you who've come before, you don't miss. We only have 100 seats and we're 
down to a few. Make sure you register at coachingyoulive.com forward slash 2021 to register.